the wrong version. Um, this being what I consider the inspired, I'm just kidding. I'm, those, if you're a guest, don't worry about it, okay? I'm, I'm just weird. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods beside me or before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Oh, I love that part, don't you? I think I have to read that again. Uh, but, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take up the name of the Lord your God, uh, sorry, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Father, we bow before you because these words are, are your commands. They're your truth. They're what you've given us to guide our lives. And, Father, we, we, it's not just to guide. It's an expectation based on the fact that you created us. You made us who we are. Uh, you put us on this earth. You've given us uh, expectations because that's what's best. It's what's right. It's what's best for us. It's what's best for the people of the earth, it's what's best for your kingdom. And so help us, Lord, to know how to put this to use and apply this part of this, these commands to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I want to address the elephant in the room briefly, all right? Because, by the way, this was like, we planned this a long time ago, so don't think that this timing of this has anything to do with what's going in our country. Um, you know, obviously, we're all surprised, God's surprised. We're, oh, no, wait a minute. God can't be surprised, can he? I mean, I, I've watched how this is lined out. Mike, you know, remember, commented, I remember on Father's Day, we didn't plan it to show up on Father's Day to talk about honoring our father and our mother. Well, we didn't plan it to show up a week after a court ruling regarding sexuality in our United States to happen that we speak on the subject of adultery. Now, I don't feel all that comfortable with this, all right? Just to let you know. I'm not feeling comfortable to preach today. But I believe God has a word for us today. I believe God has given me something to say. But I do want to say something just briefly, and I'm going to give you a copy. Look at this thing. I'm not reading that, all right? Um, 
But I do want you to have a copy of that if you're interested, and I'll set it out back, and you can take a look at it. Uh, Mike said, can we make this official? And I, well, well, we'll talk about that. Our elders, we're going to talk about that. But, but um, many evangelical Christians have signed this document. Leaders all over our country. It was written by our, by our own Southern Baptist, a, um, uh, I can't remember, E-L-R-C. Anyway. I can't remember what the E stands for. That's why it's just messing me up. Ethics, Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, um, Commission. But here's what it says, just briefly. As evangelical Christians, we dissent from the court's ruling that redefines marriage. I'm only going to read the first paragraph and just the headings of the rest of it. The state did not create the family and should not try to recreate the family in its own image. We will not capitulate on marriage because biblical authority requires that we cannot. The outcome of the Supreme Court's ruling to redefine marriage represents what seems like the result of a half century of witnessing marriage's decline through divorce, cohabitation, and a worldview of almost limitless sexual freedom. The Supreme Court's action poses, I'm sorry, the Supreme Court's actions pose incalculable risks to an already volatile social fabric by alienating those whose beliefs about marriage are motivated by deep biblical convictions and concern for the common good. And then he lists out several aspects of how this works out. The Bible clearly teaches that the enduring truth that marriage consists of one man and one woman. The Bible, uh, evangelical churches must be faithful to the biblical witness on marriage regardless of the cultural shift. The gospel must inform our approach to public witness. And we, that we, can, we recognize, by the way, in that, 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 we're, that we're not to sit there in judgment on everybody, you know, and saying, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but to, to love and pray and respect those who have uh, views not like ours, but still witness to the truth of the gospel. The redefinition of marriage should not entail the erosion of religious liberty. And um, the gospel of Jesus Christ determines the shape and tone of our ministry. Now, we could talk about that further, but I don't have time right now. I do want to address this passage. Uh, and this is, by the way, a hard passage to preach without moralizing. <laughs> you know, I, I find it so easy. You know, you can say, well, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, and this becomes sin, and this becomes sin, and this becomes sin. I'm not going to do it that way today, uh, but it is difficult. We could talk about the moral aspects of this. I learned a new term this week, and I, I introduced it to my wife, and she thinks it's crazy to even talk about it, but, but it just was so cool. Casuistry. How many of you know what casuistry means? You know, my wife knows, you know, and I, I looked it up because I had no idea. But as I was studying this passage and trying to understand it, that word came up, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, and, and, of course, you know, Google gives you an opportunity to go out and find a definition. Actually, I think I used multiple definitions to figure it out. Um, you don't really care. But basically, in this context, in this context, it would be taking the command against adultery and developing a series of steps or rules that, if violated, would each be a violation of the command. And having grown up in good Baptist churches and, and found myself in all spectrums of that, with uh, legalism being a part of that, I could do that. I know how to set the rules up, all right, and tell you that's sin and that's sin and that's sin. But we're not going to do that because that would be 
casuistry, which is not a good word, okay? Just want you to know that. Um, still, take a look at our nation, and you can see that we need help in this area, the area of sexuality. We need help, folks. We really do. We're in trouble as a nation. And whether you're discussing Bruce, uh, discussing Bruce Jenner or whatever, Caitlin, whatever, okay, I don't know, um, or, the, or the Supreme Court ruling just over a week ago, our world and, and um, even the Christian world is having a hard time figuring out what to do with sexuality. We don't really know how to deal with this thing. Our friends, our family, people are talking about it. They're doing things that we don't think, we're not, we, that doesn't seem quite right, but we don't know how to address it. We're not sure what to do with that. Uh, country music's latest rising star is discovering that, that cutting-edge music is not necessary for success, but rather at 26 years old, she can increase her popularity by celebrating lifestyles once anathema even to the country western world. Not that country music didn't regularly hit the cheating spouse realm. Uh, I'm not going to say what I think of country music. Um, the command, you shall not commit adultery, is not outdated and does not relate. I'm sorry, and it does. Helps if I read what I wrote here. Is not outdated, and it does relate to other sexual morality issues, okay? It does relate. It is for today. Now, the stark, the unmitigated command regarding adultery is don't do it, right? I, I kidded with Caleb today. I said, I'm going to just come right now. I'm just going to say, I'm going to stand up here. How do you preach this passage? Well, the Bible says don't commit adultery. Okay, don't do it. See you guys. You know, um, I thought about that, that uh, well, I won't go there. I'm straying, and I don't have enough time to do that. Adultery is the second in a series of quick hits in the commands. Addresses, it addresses the spiritual union of a man and a woman. Now, while murder is a violation against or, or denial of the image of, of God in man, adultery is a spiritual violation. It's a violation of the spiritual unity between a man and a woman. And actually, if you read the scripture, it's a triune unity between God and a man and a woman. He brings us together. And that it is a spiritual uh, violation. It's a violation of spiritual unity. And it is a denial of the sufficiency of God's provision in a husband or a wife. When we say, you're not good enough for me, I need somebody else, we have denied that God has laid out a sufficient resource for our lives and for meaning in relationships. God describes his relationship with his people, by the way, as a husband and a wife. When I violate my marriage covenant, I am drawing the wrong picture of what God wants us to see of his relationship to us. Sadly, when he describes this relationship, it frequently emphasizes Israel's idolatry as infidelity or adultery in their covenant relationship. Isn't it amazing that God takes this picture of, of, uh, of 
he, he takes the idea of infidelity and he says, what's the worst thing I can think of? What's the worst thing I can think of to describe how Israel has abandoned me? Well, it's adultery. It's adultery. An unfaithful spouse is one of the worst violations of trust known to man. Among those, I'm sorry, and women too. You know, I don't want to be sexist here. Among those who claim to be followers of Christ, there's a frightening number of people who set this command aside. Now, you may not be comfortable with what I'm saying. That's okay. I'm not comfortable with it either. But this is truth. How often I've heard... The Old Testament law doesn't apply. I can do what I want. Or how about this one? God wants me to be happy. Hmm. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds nice to say God wants me to be happy. I mean, it's hard to argue, though, against the basic command. Do not commit adultery. Adultery is taking physical advantage of a body that belongs to someone else. It's not yours. If you are married, the basic meaning is to give your body to someone else rather than its rightful owner, your spouse. Paul said, your body is not your own. It is your spouse's. If you're a man, it belongs to your wife. If you're a woman, it belongs to your husband. Your body's not your own. You're giving it to someone else. That's adultery. Proverbs 6, I don't have it out here, but um, Proverbs 6, 23 through 29 gives us the warning that should be sufficient. Adultery will result in reducing a man to a loaf of bread and will burn you like fire. I used to, by the way, I used to think that that uh, uh, that passage, you know, he says I, I, that, that I, I, it's reduced you to a loaf of bread by going to adulterous woman. It reduced you to a loaf of bread. I thought a loaf of bread. I pictured a man, you know, little. Foamy, squishy, weak thing, right? Oh, that's a terrible, that's not the right word, okay? That was not the right interpretation. But I thought it was good, and I believed that all along, and I used to say it. I used to preach it. I used to tell people about that. You've become a loaf of bread, you know? Well, actually, it's probably more accurate to say you've reduced to your value, your, your net worth, to no more than a loaf of bread, okay? So it's just as bad for a man to be reduced to that level. It also says it talks about the burning fire. I was actually going to bring in a, a loaf of bread and a burnt T-shirt, but uh, I forgot it. Um, you know, but, uh, but just so you could see, you know, it's ba basically you try to bring in an adulterer into your life, and it will burn you. It will burn you. You know, it, it, it's not a good thing. By the way, since it's 4th of July, I can remember this. When I was a kid, I, I, did, I used to uh, mess with fireworks. How many of you messed with fireworks yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to mess with, I won't tell you what I did, I won't tell you how I did them, but we lived on a lake, and so we would toss them out over the lake, and of course it was a windy day, I had a whole bunch of fireworks in my pockets and everything, and it was against my father's wishes, but it didn't matter, I was lighting fireworks and tossing them up, and the sparks came back, lit was in the pocket, and literally just kind of just blew up the whole front of my chest, you know, <laughs> you know. How do I explain that to my parents? It was not easy, I lied a lot, okay? <coughs> I'm not saying that's a good thing, all right? You know, I'm sorry, parents, if your kids are here. That's a, I, you know, don't imitate, the, you know, what I'm saying. Do as I say, not as I say. No, that's not a good thing to say either. Um, 
It was a bad moment. I wish I hadn't done it, honestly. That's the truth. But before we get serious and personal, which, by the way, you know, you're laughing. That's okay. You can laugh at me. But I, I want to take you through a sampling of the problems adultery caused among God's people. You see, the violation of this command is common in the Old Testament. Have you ever read, heard people say, well, that Bible, it's, got, it's full of rotten people. How can that be the word of God? Now, people of other religions look at the Bible and say, why do you call that a holy book? It's full of unholy things. Yes. That's the beauty of the Bible. It tells us the rotten truth about us as people. I don't know about you, but I see myself over and over again in the Scripture. I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see. But, but in the Old Testament, Reuben, Jacob's or Israel's firstborn, lost his blessing as a result of laying with Bilhah, his father's concubine. It started out pretty early in the history of the people of God. Uh, in one of the more horrible stories in the Bible, a certain Levite's concubine, I hate this story, Levite's concubine played the harlot and ultimately suffered tragic and violent death. You remember that story? I don't want to describe it to you if you don't remember it. It's a horrible thing. Um, David. David, the man previously referred to as a man after God's own heart, entered into an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. This relationship resulted in the murder of a very good and loyal man and the death of a child. Not to mention messed up family history after that. Other situations of, uh, uh, I mean, sorry, other situations of sexual promiscuity and their negative consequences included the Sodomites, Lot, Shechem, Judah, Potiphar's wife, Samson, the sons of Eli, Amnon, and Absalom, to name a few. Remember, all of those cases ended up in some bad things happening because they got into immoral relationships. We're not even talking about eternal issues. We're talking about just life, just life. The seriousness of adultery can be seen in Deuteronomy 22:24, where Moses instructs the people to put adulterers to death outside the camp. Don't you like that? Woo! I mean, we're not talking about a minor deal here. You commit adultery, we're going to kill you, okay? Stone you, particularly. Um, and this is what he said. He said, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Think about that. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. What does that mean? It means that adultery was not just an act harming two individuals. It was a threat to the well-being of Israelite society. But you might say to me, oh, pastor, that's, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Doesn't apply anymore. Well, I, <laughs> I agree to some extent. I'm grateful that it's Old Testament and we're not taking people outside the city and stoning them. I'm against that, all right? That's not my thing. But did God not show us something very real here about the seriousness? Uh, the New Testament does not negate the Old. The New Testament does not negate the old. What did Jesus say? I have come to fulfill the law. And he says that non one, not one uh, yod or tittle, jot or tittle, however you want to pronounce that, will be done away with. It's all God's word. So we can't just put it aside and ignore it. 
Um, hopefully by now you kind of realize that. Uh, at least the Ten Commandments are relevant to our lives today, or we wouldn't be spending all this time preaching on them. They're relevant. Uh, I, I, and I, I'm still thankful that we don't take adulterers outside the city anymore. I really am. Um, every time I, I have dealt with people facing adultery in the church, ultimately the whole community has suffered some sort of loss. Loss of trust, loss of fellowship. Have you been there? Have you been there? If you haven't seen that, you haven't been in church long enough. It's been there. I've seen it in every church I've ever been in. That has caused damage to the fellowship of the people of God. Not just the couple, but the church. And the seriousness of this command is heightened or enlarged and expanded in the New Testament. The New Testament tells us that adulterers and those who practice other forms of sexual immorality will not be in heaven or inherit eternal life. Oh, wait a minute. Did I make that up? I, you know, I'm troubled. I was kind of, as I started studying this, I got really troubled by the things that I was reading in the Scripture. Now, I don't, I've read the Bible through how many times, but I'm troubled by the fact of how God views sexual immorality. Ugh, it hurts. It's troublesome. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Or do you not, not know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He then describes what the unrighteous are. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. By the way, I hate that word. It's just an ugly word. But guess what? It's an ugly thing. It's sex outside of marriage. Okay, just so you understand what that's about. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. What a list. Today, I only have to concern myself with this sexual thing. There's a whole bunch more in there that hits you and I very close to home, doesn't it? What is he saying? Hebrews, by the way, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for what? fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is New Testament, folks. It's not Old Testament. Are you hating me yet? See, I'm not saying this. I'm reading what the Bible says because if I say what I think, you can hate me. If I say what the Bible thinks, you just have to hate God or deal with him, one or the other. I'm just reading what it says. Fornicators and adulterers will be, God will judge. New Testament. The New Testament commands, by the way, as you can see from that passage, a high view of marriage. Don't let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's God holds that sacred. It's a sacred place. It's a sacred relationship. It's a holy relationship. So don't mess it up. The New Testament goes directly to the heart. Jesus in Matthew says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, Adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Where is it coming from? You know, this, isn't, this isn't a matter of physical stuff. We look at it, oh, it's physical. Uh, that was, gosh, that was, what, an 80s song or something? I don't remember. It's physical. I mean, I don't remember. It was way back when. Um, and I'm like, what? It's physical. You know, she was missing the point. But because um, it's not. It is a spiritual matter. 
You've heard that in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. Now, this is Jesus speaking, not, not Old Testament. You've heard that it said you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, I've heard it said. That's in the commandments. Je God himself said that, right? Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you, makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, discussed our, our liberty versus what is profitable or best. In that discussion, he reveals a, a key understanding of the cost of sexual sin. He says, flee, flee immorality. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Flee immorality. For this in Romans, he says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant. If there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, if love wins, if love wins, it means not that I have freedom to do what I want to do. It means that I have the freedom and the responsibility to do what he says to do toward my neighbor and treat them in a godly fashion in terms of sexuality. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. If I'm going to love you, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm not going to be gratifying myself. It's not about me. My love is about you and about him, ultimately. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to get down to some practical stuff here in just a moment, in case this isn't practical enough for you. The New Testament establishes the way of forgiveness and, clean, and cleansing. Now, so, folks, here's the good part. Remember I said earlier, so I'm really glad that I'm, you know, it makes me happy that, that there's something positive in here. There's some forgiveness. There's a forgiving the generations, the thousands of generations. And, uh, but here he says, he says, uh, Paul also says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. You did all these things. You lived all these life, this lifestyle, and you're saying, oh, my goodness, I can't get to that eternal life. I'm excluded from the kingdom of God. How could that be? But he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and this, in the spirit of God. Folks, this is the good news side of things. All of that stuff we talk about, all of the world, all of what's taking place around us, if we are without Christ, we're hopeless and we're destined for, for, for hell. But instead, there's a promise. There's a promise, and that promise is you can be washed, you can be sanctified. That means kind of set apart. You, it can be justified. That means you're declared right. You're declared right before God, uh, you, and, and that's according to what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. Now, what do I do with this? Well, first of all, you've got to know some things, some facts, and I'll give you, by the way, these things. Uh, i got a sheet for, for you, and I'll leave it at the back for you to pick up if you'd like. Um, one, the law doesn't keep us from sin. 
And that, that's the one thing that's kind of a struggle for us, isn't it? We see the law. The law does not keep us from sin. In fact, we are more like Adam and Eve in this regard. We tend to home in on temptation like, it is, like it's the in, intended target. You know, a homing pigeon or you take your, your radar and you kind of play that you're homing in on something. Um, that's, that's the idea. Um, but if you home in on temptation, that's what we tend to do. Because, Like it's the intended target. The target most frequently in our sight today relates to sexual sin. Everything around us is pointing us that direction. Everything's pushing us that way. We have that computer in front of us. We have our phones in front of us, our very smart smartphones. Uh, we, uh, we, have, we have everything in front of us. See, uh, television used to be television. Oh, television. You know, television is nothing. But it's all there in front of us. Come to this. Advertisers are using it because they want to point us in that direction. And I don't know what it is, but it draws us in. We've got we to gotta go there. I've got to go there. I can't help it. Two, if I home in on the lawgiver, I gain the first winning edge in the battle against sin. What's my problem? I'm homing in on the sin, on the temptation, instead of homing in on him. You see, I can't, I can't look at the law and get anywhere. Every time I look at the law and focus on the law, I violate the law. Are you like that? Every time I try, try, try to beat the law, I sin. But when I home in on the guy that gave the law and I relate to him, I don't have the trouble. Same way with my wife. If I home in on the things she tells me to do, my honey-do list, I'm, I'm going to violate it. Okay? I'm not going to do I don't do it anyway. But, and it didn't, but it, I don't know what that says. I don't know. We'll just have to worry about that later. Um, but if I home in on her and my relationship with her and how much she loves me and how much I can love her, then, then I'm not as likely to violate the things that she wants done, right? Because she's right. But if I home in on the lawgiver, that becomes a whole different story. I might if I... Focus on her, fail, and violate. But if I focus on God and the fact that I have a very personal relationship with him, he gave the law, and he asks and commands, actually, that I love her, right? He commands that I remain faithful. And she knows the day we got married, I said, the reason you can have confidence that I'm going to love you and be faithful to you throughout my life is one reason, and it's not my love for you. It's my love for God. And I know for a fact he knows every thought that I think. Not always a pretty thing. I don't know. That, I, I belabored that one a little longer than I planned to. My, my liberation does not guarantee that I will not sin. Okay? I've been liberated from my sin, but I need supernatural help along the way. Don't you? I mean, when I'm tempted, we know that. If you're an alcoholic, you understand what temptation is. If you're a drug addict, you understand what temptation is, right? It's like it's there, and that's all you can think about. That became God to you at that moment, and there's nothing else in there. Sexual sin is the same way. It is something that is like that to you. You can't get away from it. Pornography is like that to you. You can't get away from it. You think about it, and you just focus there, and you could care less at the damage you leave behind. 
It doesn't matter to you if you destroy relationships. At that moment, all you want is what you want because you have lost sight of God. And you've lost sight of the people that you really do love. Jesus raised the bar in regard to sexual sin for good reason. Moving from what <laughs> the simple concept of adultery to our thought life and our tendency toward other forms of immorality, Jesus gave us a strong antidote to repeated failure. That is, deal with the root cause. This is where I mess up. I start right here, my heart and here. I allow a thought. I allow something in. Folks, we, we've got to watch that in everything we're doing because that's it's going the wrong direction. Jesus struck at the heart of the matter. Our heart needs to change. As, as long as I continue to harbor sexual de desires or fantasies outside of my marriage, I have little hope for, uh, for, of overcoming sexual sin and temptation. When I'm harboring those thoughts, it's not going to happen. It's dangerous place to be. Jesus graphically attacked our unwillingness to deal with sexual sin in our own lives. This is one I read earlier. He called on us to rip out our eye or cut off our hand if either of them caused us to stumble into sexual immorality. Why does he say that? That's a terrible thing. And we say we can't do without our smartphones. We can't do without our computers or we can't do without you fill in the blank and you can say name it, right? How easy would it have been for somebody in the first century to do without his right arm? That's my left. His right arm. How easy it would be to do without his eyeball? It was necessary to life. It was necessary to making a living. But Jesus said, it's that important, cut it off. Is it that hard to pull the cord, pull the plug? Really, really, really? You need that? You need that smartphone? Really? You need to watch that TV show? You need to watch that movie? You really need that? I mean, if it's driving your thoughts this direction, is it that important? Is it changing your life that much? Is it making your life that much better? I think we've forgotten something here. It's so funny when you go unplugged. Have you ever done that? Try it sometime. Try to unplug for a week and see what God reveals to you. It's amazing. It's amazing what it could be like. You actually might find you like it. Whether it's multiple heterosexual partners or homosexual liaisons, whether it is blatant adultery or unmarried fornication, whether it is pornography or lust in the street, God has made a wonderful promise and a frightening declaration in the final book, the final chapter of the Bible. You know what he says? Last chapter, Revelation. He said, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may not that, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Amen. Amen. Next verse. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Same passage. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Outside are the immoral persons. If you're practicing immorality, 
you're outside of God's plan. You're outside of his plan. Now, I'm not saying you've got to keep these commands and you'll be okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get in the right relationship with God and he'll get, get you through that to make, help you keep those commands. And I, I did tell my son one time, just this is a true confession time, it's not in the notes, so listen carefully and see what I goof up on. I told my son, I said, son, I baptized you. I understood your confession of faith. It sounded right. You prayed the prayer, but I want you to understand something. The things you're telling me now, the things that you're looking at right now, the things you're focused on right now, I am not going to be the one that guarantees you that you know Jesus Christ and you're heading to heaven. That's a hard thing to tell your son. I vetted him before I baptized him. Folks, you may be here, and if you're living and practicing daily this kind of a sin, I don't. I would not be want to be the one that told you you're, you got it. You know Jesus. I'm not going to tell you that. I think that would be wrong. Now, would I say that you lost your salvation? No, no way. I would raise the question, what did you do? If you entered into a relationship, what would you do? If you enter in marriage relationship, what would you say? I'd say, well, I, you know, I can do other things, right? No, it's craziness. You would think that's crazy. Now, I've counseled with so many people who say to me, but pastor, you, you don't know my situation. <laughs> You're right there. You don't know my wife, my husband, my needs, whatever it is. People, con- including pastors, have told me God wants them to be happy. Therefore, this relationship outside of marriage is his plan. You tell me you hadn't heard that. I've heard it. I've dealt with it. Some of those, these were already in blatant adultery. Others were engaged in what I call emotional affairs. You know, those are just as dangerous. Okay, got to watch those things. They kind of they get you by surprise. Let me make an announcement, by the way. God is not as interested in your happiness as he is in your obedience. Can I make a rather rude point here? Why not? I've been rude all morning. More people are being martyred for their faith today than any other days in history. I don't know about you, but if I'm being martyred, I'm not too happy. You know, God is not concerned about our happiness. Those people are martyred mostly, though, with joy. They have joy because they know who they're going to face when they get to the other side. And they're ready. Oh, to have that kind of an attitude. They have the fruit of the Spirit. Your happiness, especially as it concerns sexual deviance, is not high on God's list of priorities. It's just not there. It's just not there. On the other hand, if you follow God's plan for marriage, I can assure you God can bring about a satisfying and meaningful relationship beyond any of the myths of the present age. The promise is being made. The promise is on the other side of the fence. The promise on the other side of the screen is lies. There are, is lies. Our lies. There we are. They're lies. It's not going to deliver. I can assure you, it will not deliver. Do it God's way. That'll deliver. That'll deliver. Um, and by the way, even if you have failed or succumbed to sexual sin, God has provided a payment for restoration. It's there. Um, 
However, I don't, I, do, do not cheapen the grace of God with the pursuit of your own self-centered happiness. Pursue God, of course. Pursue your wife. Women, pursue your husband. If you do that, I can assure you, you will have a joyful, meaningful life, meaningful relationship. Is this a hard message? You feel like it's kind of harsh? Take it up with Mike, okay? <laughs> or Jeremy, anybody but me, all right? Um, I do think we need to remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I, I don't want us to forget grace, okay? I don't want us to forget the blood on the cross. But that blood was shed. That's a high price for me to say, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. That's a high price. I like, as we come past this time, we're going to look at how do I respond? How do I deal with this? You know, one of the ways to deal with this, of course, is to, to deal with it in getting things right between you and God. And between you and your spouse, perhaps. Or you and somebody else. That's something we need to pay attention to today. Uh, Mike, perhaps myself, will be available at the back later on during the service and following the service. If you need to talk to somebody, you need to pray with somebody, you need to deal with something. Maybe you need to even make a decision to follow Christ. You may think, wow, this guy's whack. I don't care what you think of me. But I want you to go to God's word and say, what is he saying to me today? So I want to invite you to deal with that. Um, the other thing is, is one of the things we like to do here every week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the fact that what Jesus did was he paid the price so that even though my thought life, my heart, and perhaps my actions didn't match what God's word has said, he paid the price for me. So that's the symbol that is, that is put out here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I always think about that, that Jesus is waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He's willing to wait for us to celebrate and drink and eat among us once again. Can we wait for him? Let's do that as we celebrate Lord's Supper at this time. Following that, we'll, we will sing some songs of worship on the second one. We're going to take a time to respond also in our, in our stewardship, our giving. We, that's a time where we're, it's another part of worship as we give back to the Lord that which he's given to us. And so all of these things are response to what he's done for us. Let me encourage you to be prayerful about these matters, to focus on what he has in mind. Um, let's stand together, and as we stand... Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, uh, open up the opportunity for uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Father, 
we come before you, we know that, that uh, we are unworthy. And certainly a message like this kind of gets us uh, perhaps confused, perhaps a little bit bothered. But, Father, you know our hearts. And, Lord, we know that as we go to the Lord's table today that what we're coming for is not because we're perfect and we've got it all figured out and wired, but because of the very fact that we need Jesus and that he died. He paid the penalty so that we could have life. Father, as we celebrate the, this, uh, this supper, this meal, that we would celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to remember all that you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.